Hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for us to pause and remember that God really is at work in our mess. Yes, this is a place where we can come as we are, kick off our shoes, and take a deep breath of truth and encouragement. Well, I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this Faith-Fueled Conversation Style podcast, which airs a brand new episode every other Tuesday. And with me today is my good friend and co-host, the lovely Amy Groeschel. Listen, a passion of ours is locking arms with people throughout the Capital C Church, the global body of Christ, because we honestly believe that we can do infinitely more together than apart. So whether you're here in America like we are, or joining us from somewhere else in this beautiful world, whether you're the CEO of some large company or a stay-at-home mom with a small army of kids, whether you're a college student or a church leader or a barista at Starbucks, or maybe you're in a season of transition right now, whether you're driving in your car or running on the treadmill or hiding in the bathroom from your toddler. Guys, we have a calling, and that is to know God and to make Him known. So as I mentioned in our last episode, for this first month of 2020, the first podcast episodes of a brand new decade, we're taking some intentional time to focus on that underlying purpose, on how to use what we already have to make the Great Commission a reality, not for our glory, but for His. In episode 68 with Emily Freeman, we talked about the decision-making process and the significance of following God into our next right thing. And today for episode 69, we're getting a peek at the behind the scenes of leadership from someone I deeply respect and one of the wisest leaders of our time, my pastor and Amy's husband, Craig Rochelle. Craig is the senior pastor at Life Church, host of the popular Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, and what I would call a leadership expert. But here's what I want you to know about Craig, who's been my pastor for 17 years, someone I worked under when I was on staff at Life Church before having babies, someone my husband has gotten to work with for nearly a decade as a pastor on staff. Craig is crazy about his God and his wife and his six kids and son-in-laws and grandbabies. He pours out his life for our church and for the good of the global church. He's full of integrity, humility, perseverance, and passion, but he never claims to have it all together. Instead, He will always point us back to the only perfect Savior. And the type of leadership Craig promotes isn't proud or domineering or power-hungry. It's that upside-down leadership of the upside-down kingdom that we first learned about from Jesus. You know, Jesus led by serving those around Him and valuing those who were overlooked and living with an eternal perspective and empowering a hodgepodge group of people to leverage their lives for the sake of the gospel, leading them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Listen, my guess is we all want to be better leaders in 2020, but there's much more behind the scenes than we can see. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Amy and me for a chat with Craig. What a treat we have today as my favorite of all peoples is on the messy table with us. Welcome to my husband and best friend, Craig. <laughs> Thank you to my wife and my best friend. It's the first time you've interviewed me formally. Yeah, I know. That's pretty crazy. I'm glad Jen's here to straighten us out. You guys are so fancy today. <laughs> well, you guys have been my pastor since I was 19 years old. I was a sophomore at Oklahoma State University. And we were 22. <laughs> so it was 2003. I believe. And we met in a middle school yeah. and words can't adequately express just how grateful I am for your willingness and your sacrifice mm-hmm. and just the ways that you keep showing up, keep pursuing God, keep loving your family and keep loving our church. And Thank so you. 
Well, seeing people like you and your husband who've grown up in the church doing what you're doing today makes it incredibly rewarding for us. Wow. Well, thanks for being on mm-hmm. today. Yeah. We're excited. I'm mm-hmm. excited. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. This podcast is partly your fault because you've been harping on us forever to use what we have just yeah. to glorify God. And I'm like, well, I have a computer and I have a table. I can get a mic. <laughs> And so here we are. Well, obviously, you're the pastor at Life Church. You host the powerful and super practical leadership podcast. And then you speak and write and lead through all kinds of organizations like the Global Leadership Summit. So take us a little deeper. Tell us about your family, your life. Just give us some exclusive information. Well, obviously, your co-host is uh, my wife of almost 29 years. And if you go all the way back, kind of some information that some people may not know, we actually met through someone that was making fun of both of us. <laughs> so there was a girl that I knew in college that uh, was kind of making fun of me for being what she called overboard for God and had fun with that for a while. And then she heard about somebody else that was overboard for God that actually went to another school. And that's how unusual it was in mm-hmm. her mind. It's like, this mm-hmm. girl's as crazy as you are. <laughs> and she said kind of sarcastically, but a little bit seriously, you should meet this girl. Her name is Amy. And she's just, she's weird like you. She's overboard <laughs> for God like you. So that's how we met. And, um, We've kind of tried to make a ministry of being overboard for God all these years. That's funny. And, uh, Weird like you. Yeah. That's right. I've heard you say that, but I thought it was a compliment. I didn't realize she was kind of like, oh, eh. yeah, You know, it was. A, I think she was intrigued by it, but it was a little bit of a jab. The interesting thing is, is that she and her husband are now a part of our church all these years later. Oh, wow. So that's, that's kind of the other part of the story that's special to us. Came full circle. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think a lot of people look at you and they don't actually realize that this church started in a two-car garage and it wasn't your in intent. I mean, obviously you wanted to see people know him, but you had no idea. Never. No, no idea at all. What was going to (laughs) happen? Yeah, no, we we really, this was back in 1996. And this was before churches looked a little bit like a lot of churches look today in style. And what we really felt passionate about doing was just reaching people for Jesus. Unchurched. Yeah, those who who were unchurched. And and so we felt like doing church in a little bit of a different style Mm -hmm. might have a better reach than than some of the more mm-hmm. traditional minded churches that we grew up in uh, that I grew up in that didn't reach me and there's amazing traditional churches that just I wasn't reaching one. Right. So that was so we tried to start something that we thought would reach people. And then along the way we kind of accidentally stumbled into some new ways of leveraging technology. And so this church ended up at places that we never, ever, ever, ever dreamed we'd be able to reach people. Mm-hmm. And part of your story is you actually grew up in church, but you didn't become a Christian until later. So that kind of stirred your passion, right? Right, it did. And so that's one reason why, like, if someone comes to our church, we always make an invitation to turn from your sins and follow Christ every week. And the reason we do that is because I grew up going to church a lot. And if they said it, it didn't reach me. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to waste an opportunity. If someone's coming to church one time in that year, mm. I want that to be a good week for them to hear the message that can can transform their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then we went multi-site. One of my favorite stories is, I guess, was it when Sam was born? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Tell us about that story, yeah, so because te- I think so many people think you set out to be this multi-site, multi-campus church. And maybe that was in the back of your mind. No, but... it, it wasn't even on. I don't know if it was in the back of anybody's mind. And it's certainly not ours. <laughs> Right. The story a lot of people don't know is before Sam was born, we actually went to multiple sites in our original campus we built and in a movie theater. Okay, yeah. And and that was just, hey, what if we did a service there? And our first thoughts was, is that legal? Can you do church in right. two places mm-hmm. at all? But you went back and forth. Went back right. and forth. And then there was another church in town called Metro Church that ended up merging with us. And that was when the very first Sunday 
was four hours after our son Sam was born. So Amy gave birth between Saturday services and Sunday morning. And so obviously I wasn't going to go run in and preach that first service. And Good for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad they, you didn't. Okay. I might have the second one, but I'm not going <laughs> to own that. But someone was said, what are we going to do? And someone said, why don't we run the video from the night before? So it was the first time we were officially in two like big sites. And we ran video right after Sam was born. And that was on January the 14th, 2001. Mm-hmm. And it worked so well. It worked. We yeah, the video teaching like, huh, worked. What is this? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So yeah. it wasn't a plan to do. It was kind of by accident or maybe by the providence of God that, that mm-hmm. he had put us in that place. And, Absolutely. and then we started scratching our heads saying, if that could work here, could it work somewhere else? Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything has been in response to the momentum of what God is doing and trying to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which yes. It, it's just so God. It's just like him. Yeah. We can't take any credit because we mm-hmm. did not plan anything. It was it was a response to opportunities that we stumbled upon along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, it is the new year and we all want to be more effective leaders. And so since you are the leadership guru, you are, I'm going to give you that title. Um, You you often say everyone wins when the leader gets better. But for those who don't already know, why are you so passionate about leadership? Well, I think, you know, when I look at Jesus, you know, the first thing I see is kind of all spiritual. He is a son of God who was born of a virgin lived the perfect life, became sin for us, died, and God raised him from the dead. So it's all spiritual. But for whatever reason, I see a lot of things through the lens of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at his life, too, not only do I see the Savior of the world, but I also see the greatest leader who ever lived. And I see someone who went and chose people that no one else believed in, recruited them. If if we use business terms, he onboarded them. Mm -hmm. He he Mm -hmm. created a kingdom culture. He um, equipped them, gave them feedback, and then he empowered them and delegated kingdom authority to them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so here we are 2,000 years later experiencing the power of the gospel through the church because of the work of God through mm-hmm. a divinely inspired leader. Mm-hmm. And and so I just believe leadership really, really matters. It matters in our families. Mm-hmm. It matters in our schools. It matters in our churches. It matters in our small groups. And and a lot of people listening might feel like, well, I'm not really a leader. I'm, you know, I'm just a whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really try to help people understand is that what is leadership? Someone said this, it's not my quote, but leadership is influence and everyone has influence. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have influence. If you're a working parent, you have influence. Mm -hmm. If you're in a a brand new job and just started, you have influence in the people Mm -hmm. around you. If if you have three friends, you have influence. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and the bottom line is you're going to either influence them towards something good and helpful Mm -hmm. and godly, or you're not, or they're going to influence you towards something good, godly and helpful, or they're not. And so we want to, we want to see the relationships we have, the power we have, the authority we have, the things we have, the money we have, everything that we have. We want to leverage to influence and lead people to the things that matter most. Mm-hmm. It's like our mission statement. We want to lead others yes. to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you've done that so well in our church and our home, our marriage. Christ obviously is a beautiful example and the ultimate example, but he gives the gift of leadership mm-hmm. um, through the Holy Spirit. And I definitely think he gave 
an extra dose of that to our mm-hmm. our pastor here. <laughs> pastor. That's what we're calling I, you, Pastor. I, I, I like when you call me Pastor right. Greg. I don't, pastor. I don't know why. It's not I, like I should leave the room. I like room. when you call me anything that's, <laughs> that's nice. I received from you as a pastor, for sure. I'm going to give you yeah. guys a moment. <laughs> so I'm curious, as a Christian leader, obviously we're called to follow Jesus mm-hmm. while leading. What does that look like? Well, yeah, kind of like Paul said, I follow me as I follow him, that ultimately our goal is not to be the leader. Our goal is to follow the leader and mm. lead others to follow the leader. And so when we read Scripture, our ultimate goal is to let the Holy Spirit transform us to become like Christ. And I think it's really important to hear it that way. The Holy Spirit transforms us to become like Christ. We don't do it on our own. That's good. Mm-hmm. And if we try, we always fail. We don't have the power. We need God's Word. His Word renews our mind. Mm-hmm. And so we stop thinking carnal thoughts. We start thinking spiritual thoughts. And then you know, we're always trapped in this body that's naturally sinful. And that's why we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. And you know, that's our goal is mm-hmm. we want to follow Him. And we're not trying to lead people to anything that matters to us. We want to lead people mm-hmm. to also follow him. So as always, it's that backwards kind of upside down kingdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last will be first and the greatest is the servant and yeah. all those weird things. Very countercultural, very powerful. So let's talk about leadership at work in a more professional setting. So has there ever been a time that you have just totally blown it as a leader? Oh, my gosh. It's embarrassing the, uh, the times. <laughs> Make us feel a little better, okay. We'll, we'll blow it as a leader. Yeah, you know, lots of times in the small ways mm-hmm. of meaning we might make a statement that uh, we take credit for something we should be giving credit generously or might be too demanding or not show appreciation for someone or take them for granted or have mm-hmm. a spirit of entitlement. So those things are, you have to battle with those every day and, mm-hmm. and try to recognize quickly and then make them right the next time or apologize when you get it wrong. On the bigger scheme of things, you know, all the time, a lot of times I'll lead with a, a mindset of lack or fear rather than faith and abundance. Um, I'll think too small. I'll be too controlling. I think if there's a season that I'm most embarrassed by as a leader, was when we were pioneering multi-site and we went and uh, tried to launch two different campuses Mm -hmm. in in Phoenix. Phoenix. Yes. And we just made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And the sad thing is when you make mistakes, people often get hurt. And so there were, you know, Mm -hmm. there there are things I wish we could go back and do differently. The good side about that, and this is the, the encouragement to any leader right now that is making a mistake or struggling, is that helped us get so much better. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing now in states around the nation, in many ways, is a result of what we learned during that bad season. So it is. sometimes mm-hmm. you have to make mistakes in order to really learn. We, we tend to learn more in our failures than we do in our successes. Mm-hmm. So when you make a mistake as a leader, don't waste it. Mm-hmm. Make sure you internalize the lesson and then change. Mm-hmm. When we're failing, we want to fail quickly um, and we want to learn and adapt. And so almost every day, as I assess the day, I look back and think I could have done this better. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of like micro failures. And mm-hmm. we want to quickly learn from those. And then the, the macro ones, the big ones, we just have to really stay humble, apologize, and um, do everything we can to get it right the next time. If we do make a mistake, the way we handle it can either strip us of credibility or add credibility. And people don't, don't need us to be perfect, but they need us to be honest. We need to own it and apologize Mm -hmm. when we get it wrong and then make sure we don't get it wrong again in the same way. Right. 
you say it all the time. People would rather follow a leader who's always real than one who's always right. right. Did, I, did I say that the right per, 100%. way? Yes, <laughs> Something perfect. Like that. Yeah. Yes, you said it exactly right. And Craig, I think you hit on some things here that I thought we could just drive in a little further, or I'd like for you to, because it was like ping, ping. You said the mistakes can often come out of fear mm-hmm. and controlling and small thinking. Those are just hitting the nose, I think, on so many reasons why we mess up as we lead. In fact, was just talking to a mom yesterday who just has this great fear that she's failing as a mom. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think she's taking on her failures as an identity. She's owning it and going, I am a bad mom mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of, oh, I messed up on this today. I didn't lead my kids well today. And so just kind of speaking to a little bit of how it's not your identity when you do make those poor leadership mistakes. Yeah, that's super important. And again, these aren't my quotes, but someone said, um, failure is an event, not a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really important to remember. And if you look at scripture, you know, those that God used in the greatest ways are often those who failed in the biggest ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite is just in, in the New Testament, Peter, who, you know, he often got it right and he often got it wrong. And when he <laughs> yes. did, it was extreme on either side. He'd mm-hmm. walk on water and then he'd look away and sink. He'd say, mm-hmm. Jesus, I'm with you always. And then he'd cower in front of a little girl. And when Jesus forgave him and restored him in John chapter 21, What's so special to me is the person that God chose to preach at Pentecost Mm -hmm. was Peter, and Peter preached on repentance and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so it was out of his failures that he actually had his ministry. I think that as a mom, as a a wife, a husband, a parent, um, an employee, a business owner, um, someone who's serving at a ministry, when we do fail, I think our spiritual enemy wants to try to attach that failure to identity. Mm -hmm. And we cannot let that happen Mm -hmm. because then we start, like you said, we start making decisions out of fear, out of shame, Mm -hmm. out of hesitation without trusting people. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of cascade into compounding failure Mm -hmm. because we are leading with the wrong mindset. If we don't receive grace, how can we really extend it? So Mm -hmm. I receive your grace. Therefore, I freely extend it to to others. And kind of like when I talk about Phoenix, that's not who we are. It's what we did. Mm-hmm. I wish we could do it differently. Mm-hmm. We can't. But what we can do is we can learn from it and say we'll be better and we'll reach more people because of it. And so mm-hmm. whoever, if you're not getting it right, you know, one of my children I've tried to connect with more intimately recently, I recognized I had been going about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And my strategy wasn't working. Well, that doesn't make me a bad parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It means I had a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. And now that I've kind of cracked the code on what's going to connect us more, we've changed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can own it and change says a lot. That's mm-hmm. so great. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's essential. And then on the flip side, so I think there's so many women out there and men that feel not good enough, mm-hmm. but then the pendulum swings and maybe we're kind of having a, an up week. And then suddenly we think we're awesome. And then we're like, dang it, I'm struggling with pride. Like, (laughs) where's the sweet spot? Do you ever hit it? Or is it just a constant surrender? I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm kind of in a constant battle. I never seem to get it right, but I always want to be growing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not a bad place to be because it's really hard to hit perfection. One of the things that that I felt like God showed me years ago really helped me a lot was when Amy and I started ministry. We led a ministry that grew backwards in a big way, meaning it went way Mm -hmm. down. And I was just devastated. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm not called to ministry. Hmm. And I felt like I heard from God. And what I felt like I heard was, um, be careful if you blame yourself for the declines. One day you'll take credit for the increases. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that really spoke to me that ultimately we don't make things grow. We don't mm-hmm. make things decline. We, our goal is to just be faithful, yeah. whatever it is. And we're not mm-hmm. always faithful. The good news is when we're not, God is. He is. He he is. is. And then we can receive his forgiveness and we mm-hmm. just learn from it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I can say anything to someone who's living in condemnation is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Let go whatever yes. didn't work well, wherever you feel like you fell short and let the spirit of God conform you more to the image of Christ today or even mm-hmm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, 30 minutes ago, you lost your temper. Okay, mm-hmm. let's ask for forgiveness. Let's move on and let's, let's do it right this time. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. I was just thinking of John fifteen five that of Jesus being the vine, we're the branches. We have to remain in him. And without him, we can't do anything. And mm. really, we are making it about us, aren't we? When we <laughs> attach identity and say, I did great. I'm great. I did bad. I'm a loser. So it's not about us. And so because it is, and because it is about the grace and love of Christ and hopefully that abiding in him, we can rejoice just in his goodness, rejoice in his life in us and, and uh, just glory in him instead of keeping a magnifying glass on right. our swings. That's a good point. That's <laughs> so good. I love what you shared. That so obviously good. we're not God. You're not God. We're all human. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking kind of about ourselves. What about with other people when you're leading through messy situations that are extremely complex, extremely mm-hmm. complicated? What's going through your mind as you're entering those? Mm-hmm. So I, I think almost every day when you're, you're dealing with people, things and something that's growing moves toward complexity. And we always say complexity kills growth. Growth creates complexity. Complexity kills growth. So what we want to do is we want to keep things as simple as we can, as often as we can. If I can just kind of chase a quick rabbit. If someone, organizationally, if someone makes a mistake, we tend to make a policy. And what we want to do is we want to manage the mistake, not create a policy. Mm-hmm. Because then suddenly you become a bureaucratic nightmare Mm -hmm. and you can't get anything done. So if we're dealing with things that are complex, we want to try to simplify them as much as possible, which is, you know, what is the issue we're trying to solve in one sentence, one statement? If we can't Mm -hmm. state it in one sentence, then we probably don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And then we want to try to, when we're dealing with people, try to understand what are the real issues here? A lot of times what we're doing is we're solving the fruit of the problem, but we're not really dealing with the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. The fruit might be that you had a bad attitude in the meeting. The root might be that your um, mother is sick. Mm -hmm. And so you're not in a healthy place because you've been up, you know, working too many hours. And and so we want to do is we want to really try to make sure we're not just dealing with the symptoms, but we're getting down to the root of the issue. And that that takes time. A lot of times it takes a lot of questions, a lot of patience. Same with parenting. You know, sometimes we see a child acting out or acting rebellious. So we think, okay, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. When the problem might be much deeper in that they feel like we don't have time for them mm-hmm. or we're not listening to them or they're a victim of being bullied at school mm-hmm. and we don't know about it or they've got they're a secret anxious. problem that mm-hmm. they're afraid to tell us because we're going to be... I think we're going to overreact or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So we want to really try to not just look at what we see, but dive several layers deeper into the root of the issue and then keep it as simple as possible. Most problems, they're complex up high, but when you get down to the root of the issue, you can treat the real issue and, and, and try to make it better faster. So the symptom is a signal to pay attention to what's going on. Yes. It is. Yes. Yeah. And so often that's where we get stuck. We're treating the symptom, mm-hmm. not the root issue. And you explained that so well and started teaching us. You're so good at explaining things. But what I think is important for the listeners to understand about Craig and, as Jen said, what is going through your mind is, yes, I truly see this and know this about um, my husband that 
when he is interacting with someone, he's praying and asking the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom and help him. And he's he is thinking all of those thoughts that he just spelled out there of what are they going through. And this is the side that I think people don't often see, but I, I see every day. And he's like just a hero to me in the way he pastors. He, he has a pastor's heart. And when he's dealing with people, he's pastor far before he is anything leader. He is trying to um, minister mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation. Just care. Just care about if, them. If they're in there and they need to be corrected, his first priority really is to love them and to pastor them through it because he knows that it's a relationship. This isn't, you know, like he said, just a bureaucratic policy and dealing with something as a leader. So anyway, I just have to say that because I think that really he's teaching us, but he's such a pastor that that's what his mm-hmm. heart is to do, is to look at what's going on beneath the surface here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes out of that pastor's heart. That means a lot. And you, you said <laughs> something too. You said, you know, something about loving and correcting. Everything we do is needs to be born out of a heart of love. Yeah. And if someone corrects me because they love me, that's actually a very loving thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we receive that as, oh my gosh, they were so harsh. I actually know they care enough to try to help us get better. And, and so as long as we have that attitude, I care about you. The problem isn't the thing necessarily that screams at us. It might be that we're trying to get on, is there something else going on in your life that's impacting you? And that's why we, we're this issue. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. I was actually reading yesterday in my Bible plan about how God corrects us because we're his children and he loves us. And so it it starts there, you know, with Mm -hmm. God's heart. So I'm curious because a lot of people have questions about decision making. And Mm -hmm. I know you've done (laughs) podcast episodes solely devoted to this. So, you know, of course, people go check those out if you haven't already. But when faced with a decision that isn't right or wrong, but you're just unsure and you can't make the decision, but sitting still is not an option. Mm -hmm. How do you practically move forward? It's a great question. If there is no right or wrong, you have to understand indecision is a decision. Mm-hmm. And so often an imperfect decision with movement is so much better than indecision. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a moving car, you can turn it easier than you can a parked car. Mm-hmm. And so my personal bias is when I make a mistake, I'd rather make mistakes moving than sitting. Mm-hmm. With team members, I'd rather have to say, whoa, and giddy up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any type of organization, in order to have growth, you have to have movement. Mm-hmm. So if there is no right or wrong, I will do one of two things. I'll just go with whatever kind of is the gut, what came to my mind first. Or what I'll do is I'll often delegate that to someone else to coach them and to give them freedom to make the decision. And Andy Stanley did a teaching one time. It was just called You Decide. He said the two most powerful words you can say mm-hmm. to your team is you decide. Someone mm-hmm. comes in and says, what do you think about this? If there's really not a right or wrong, and I tell you, Jen, you decide. What mm-hmm. I just did is I put power in your hands, trusted you with authority, and then trained you to make a decision. What I would like, though, is if I tell you, you decide, please make a decision relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Because doing nothing is rarely an option when we're trying to reach people. Mm-hmm. This is my struggle, man, because Derek (laughs) is like you, where just keep making decisions. And if you need to course correct, that's fine, where I can get paralyzed Mm -hmm. in the decision. And that's that's life sucking. I understand (laughs) that because we all have categories like that. I get paralyzed on trying to decide where to go on a weekend off because I don't want to make the wrong decision. Yeah, so something so, that doesn't even matter. Is yeah, it's, not, it's not leadership. It's just, yeah. uh, it's like it, that weekend off means so much to me. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. So I understand that. But I, I would just say to anyone who is there, you have no idea how much emotional energy you're wasting by not deciding. Right. Mm-hmm. You're spending a lot of time on something that 
if there is no real right or wrong, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal. And if you just go ahead and commit to either side, then what you can do is it frees you up to focus on other places. Mm-hmm. The other thing, as we're talking about decision making, so often we think it's an either or. And anytime we're making a decision, we want to ask ourselves, is there a C, not just an A or a B, is there a C? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes an option we didn't have in front of us is the best. Or I like to say, could we do A and B? Mm-hmm. So I like we, that. we don't, you know, exactly. we, <laughs> we just don't, we don't want to box ourselves in to either or thinking mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. or and either or both. Oftentimes I've found when I'm trapped in the either or the really best decision is a third option that we haven't mm-hmm. come up with yet. Mm-hmm. I like the both because if mm-hmm. I'm at a restaurant, I'd rather order the sample platter and get a little bit of <laughs> yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, but, but do this sometime. If you're stuck with an either or pretend like you can't do either mm-hmm. and force mm-hmm. yourself to create a third option. And you'll be surprised how often mm-hmm. there is a third option that actually is a breakthrough. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's shift from leading at work to leading at home. There's clearly so many ways we could take this. And Amy, I'd love for you to chime in as much as you can because you have a unique perspective on this. But I'd say most people just want to know, like, what secrets have you learned over the years when it comes to marriage and parenting? Well, first of all, I have to say (laughs) I give so much to the credit to who our children are today to Amy because she um, home educated our six kids. And so to Amy and also to our church, meaning mm-hmm. we didn't do it on our own. Right. It's a and village. so, mm-hmm. yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I don't say that like, hey, I'm a pastor and I, you know, that's what you're supposed to say. It's like, I really, really mm-hmm. believe that our children are better because of our church. Um, secrets of marriage, if you put me in a corner, we've said this is that your marriage is as good as both of you decide for it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds, but it really is. It's mm-hmm. always hard. It's never easy. It takes a lot of work. You'd never get it just right. But if both of you are committed, and it takes both, it can't be one. If both of you are committed to really working at it and having something special, you can have something special. But it takes two of you. Mm-hmm. It has to be the priority. Years ago, we were just married, and there was an Ann Landers quote, and probably most of the listeners don't know who Ann Landers is, <laughs> but she was a kind of a advice columnist. Mm-hmm. And we read this in a newspaper, and a lot of people don't know what a newspaper is, but it said, uh, <laughs> it said uh, she said, neglect the rest of the world if you have to, but never neglect each other. Mm-hmm. And we put that up on our um, refrigerator, and that really kind of was a foundational statement for our marriage. One Mm -hmm. of the best ways we can love our children is to make our marriage a priority. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I almost want to shout that because Mm -hmm. so many families with great intentions become Mm child-centered and neglect their marriage, and then ultimately ends up hurting their children. The best thing you can do for your children is to invest in your marriage. Just take time. It takes hard work. It's not easy. And our marriage is as good as we both choose for it to be. And if one of us isn't working toward it, then we lose ground quickly. But when both of us are working toward it, we really can overcome about anything. Yeah. I would say thank you for the kind words about me as a mom and everything. But I definitely know that, you know, every day there are, ooh, I wish I wouldn't have and, you know, I should have and all of that. But I know that God works in all things for his good and and covers that because we can't be the perfect parent. And and I want to say, even if you could, your children will still struggle. They still have to deal with their sin nature and the broken world that's out there. And ultimately, you know, we try to provide a home, right, that is Christ-centered and full of grace and love and direction for them. But There is nothing we could do to get our kids to love the Lord. That's only by the Holy Spirit for our kids to love Him. And I 
I, I say that because I hope that the listeners understand that you cannot be the Holy Spirit <laughs> for your kids. Just love them and then just pray. <laughs> yes. And our, our role is to create an environment where it's easy for them to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Meaning if we're not in church, the odds go down. Right. If they don't know that we're praying parents, the odds are going to go down. If we're not a family that values the word, the odds are going to go down. Mm-hmm. If we value sports or activities over fellowship with other, other believers, then the odds are going to go down. So we can't control them, but we can create an environment where it's more likely Mm-hmm. That that they're going to experience Christ, and you know, we all know this as parents. Their friends matter so much, mm-hmm. yeah. and so if we can put them around places where they're going to be the right kind of peers, or more likely the right kind of peers, right. then the odds go up. And so it's just you're not going to have a great harvest unless you till the ground, put some seed in the ground, and and work the ground and do it in the right season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we do with our children. Is we're trying to keep their hearts soft and mm-hmm. do what we can. We're going to plant seeds. We're going to create the right environment, and then we're going to believe that God's going to make something special grow. That's so powerful because I know we know that salvation comes from hearing the truth, hearing the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have to expose them to it. Like, how can they be saved if they don't even know? I heard someone once say, maybe it was you, I don't know, but, you know, we can't save our kids, but we can put kindling on the fire and Mm -hmm. we can get the environment right so that a spark can start. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Yeah. Was it you? Did you say that? Okay. Well. I would give you I something might, like I might that. say it later now that I've already said it. <laughs> so, yeah. so what about when times have been hard or maybe when you guys have been off and you're like, man, this just is not, you know, maybe you're busy, maybe you're distracted, or maybe you're actually fighting. What's that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, because of Amy, we tend to fight toward a resolution. And, and <laughs> because I said, of Amy. Yeah, because of Amy. Because <laughs> really? what I would do is I would withdraw <laughs> because of me. and I would hold things in and then she just won't, she doesn't give up. And so she's like, you're not going to bed. I don't care if it's three in the morning. We're going to settle this thing now. <laughs> Get them to fight like a man. You know? <laughs> and so, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. She would tell you that's the truth. So she, Good for you, Amy. Yeah, Stick she, your guns. she makes us work toward resolution. And I, we don't fight a lot. And what's odd is we often fight over things that aren't really big. Mm-hmm. But when we do, we can flare up quickly, but we've also kind of learned to forgive and work through things quickly. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the key. It's Gottman, the uh, researcher, who basically said he can see how couples fight and predict with great accuracy how their marriage is going to do. And I think that really is the key. The key is not to have a marriage where you don't fight because you are going to fight. The mm-hmm. key is to really learn to fight in a way that you're fighting for your marriage or not that's fighting good. against each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. When we're in the flesh, we're fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to learn each other's rhythms. So Amy will give me a moment to disconnect, regroup, and then she kind of comes back at me <laughs> and says, "Let's we have to work on this for our marriage. And that recenters me. And then quickly, one, I'll apologize first and try to move on. That's going to sound really simple for a couple that's really struggling right now. And I don't want it to come across mm-hmm. that way. It just, it, it has to be both of us fighting for the marriage. The mm-hmm. moment we're fighting against each other, we kind of are in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we stop giving the other one the benefit of the doubt. And that's when we really, we, we need to just get on the same side of the table. And mm-hmm. you can fight it out like crazy. As long as you are fighting for yeah. our we're marriage. not going anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we're not going to we're not going to start throwing the D word around. Mm-hmm. Divorce isn't an option. You know, we, we have to make sure we're working hard to what that foundation is. Is we are going to get through this together. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think it also goes both ways that sometimes I've walled up and upset about something and, and he's pursuing me. So I think it goes both ways, wanting that resolution. And I think that's a key to uh, our marriage being as strong as it is, is that there's no unresolved issue that's just there. Everything's been resolved and we we do fight to seek always resolution and resolution quickly so that there's not things just put under the rug. And it's not easy, but uh, it's just a commitment out of love. And you choose it. You choose to even take your thoughts captive of just little petty things mm-hmm. that you could that get. Can build, can yeah, could build and you get irritated. And then when you think about it, it's like, oh, there's really nothing here. I'm just allowing my mind to think negatively and be in the flesh. Where Craig, he actually doesn't do that. But I, you know, I let little things bother me. So there's just maturing. I think um, your marriage can withstand so much if we would just give grace and think about how it's a growth process, a maturing process throughout the years. By the grace of God, just both of you, like you said, pursuing Christ together and and individually, you'll see that, you know, you're on a journey together to be conformed to Christ. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that is happening and you'll both end up in a place of of a better marriage because you're getting rid of a lot of those issues, (laughs) little by little, getting Mm -hmm. chipped away. But yeah, there's those struggling marriages out there that um, we definitely realize because that it's not two, it's only one fighting for the marriage that mm-hmm. totally makes things topsy-turvy. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, so many people are going to be inspired and encouraged by your words. And then some other people might be in a marriage that, man, it's just mm-hmm. rough. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, I feel like I'm the only one fighting. Mm-hmm. Like, what What would you say to them? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd say I'm really sorry because I know that's real and that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And um I would probably say to that person, I think God rejoices that you're still fighting. And just kind of so you know that, that it's it's worth it, even though you feel alone and desperate. And then at that point, I think the power of prayer really, really matters. Mm-hmm. I think patience, even though you might feel like you've been waiting forever, I think having some really good friends around you matters. And mm-hmm. by that, I'm not just talking about loyal friends who say, yeah, your husband is the worst and you're the best. That's I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone that just gets in there with you and prays with you and encourages you when you feel like giving up. Mm-hmm. That's going to go a long way. And then I wish I could say, you know, here's the magic key and this is going to fix it all. It's just sometimes you trust God and then there's a miracle and other times you keep trusting God and you don't see anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you are trusting God. And I think if you're the one that's hanging on, do your best not to let it make you bitter mm-hmm. and critical of someone else. It's kind of like the Facebook comments. Sometimes we'll write something and then someone will get on there and say, my husband's the biggest jerk. I hate him, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Like, do you realize he may be a big jerk, but right now you're unhealthy. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're demeaning him on a public forum Mm -hmm. means you're unhealthy. And what we don't want to do is we don't let someone else's problems take us to a place where we become part of the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We want to fight for the right perspective. We want to fight to remain healthy. Mm-hmm. We want to fight to try to love them, even though they might not be acting in a lovable ways right now. Right. And that's that's not easy, but it's really important. That's so good, though. Like, what can you do on your side of things to get healthy, to get to a healthy place, to seek God yeah. and trust Him, and then, you know, just wait yes. for Him to surprise you? Some of our very best friends went through a situation about five years ago where she um, was unfaithful. And man, it was ugly and it was scary. Mm. And we were there in the middle of the night. And I mean, I thought it was over. And they sought God. Mm -hmm. They sought help. 
and they are better than they ever have been. Mm -hmm. And obviously they aren't glad that they went through that, but the intimacy and the no secrets, Mm -hmm. like I just want someone out there to hear like restoration is possible. It is Mm -hmm. possible if you feel stuck, like there's no way out. You know, it is possible. I like what you said too, Jen. You said they sought God and they sought help. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. We we need God's help. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times we just need someone objective that can come in and help us. There's no shame in getting outside help. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was public. I hired a performance psychologist to help me this year. And so one of the things that I've been struggling with is kind of recovery time, meaning I've taken on a lot more, but my strategy for rest and recovery hasn't changed much. And so he said, and it kind of jarred me because I typically think we have a really good marriage. And my counselor said, well, we need to really work on your communication skills with Amy around the subject. Like, don't tell me we don't have a good marriage. But it's like, yes, actually we do because I'm dysfunctional in this. And so therefore we need to communicate better and we have outside help mm-hmm. helping us get better. No shame. Mm-hmm. No shame. And I would say not only do I not want to be, I don't want to be ashamed mm-hmm. of that. I'm actually proud of that. Mm-hmm. That we're smart enough to realize there's an area that we need to improve on. And so we're seeking God and we're seeking help. Mm-hmm. I even talked to some people who say they go in for like an annual checkup. I think it's great. I think it's great. And, oh, that I, you know, good. one of the things we've learned, too, is to work on our marriage in the not bad time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say not bad because sometimes it might not be good. Like work on your marriage in the good time. Work on it in the not bad time. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of times we'll do just kind of little checkups where I'll often tell Amy, here's what you're doing that's a blessing. And, you know, what is something that I'm doing that's valuable to you? And she'll tell me something often that is way different than what I thought. Mm -hmm. And then I always have her give me something good first. And then here's the way I'll ask it is if I could do something better to be a blessing or to serve you, Mm -hmm. what would it be? So it's not like, what am I doing wrong? Now tell me where I'm bad. No, it's not the way I'm asking (laughs) it. If I could do something better or different, what would it be to bless Mm -hmm. you? And so that actually gives her the chance to say where I've been falling short or where I've been mm-hmm. bothering her. But it's in a good time. We're not in mm-hmm. high conflict. We're not you know, really mad at each other. Things are just kind of normal. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm doing that is helpful to her. And this is what would be more of a help. And mm-hmm. so it's easier for me to hear that when my emotion's not high. Mm-hmm. And so you're working on the marriage is not just when you're fighting, but in a, just a normal time when That's you're just going to plow along. So speaking of that, what are some things that Amy does that you do consider really just so valuable? Like when you think of her, man, this just means so much to me. I feel like she always, always, always cares. And I feel like she makes me a priority, which is really special and really hard to do with six kids and all the responsibilities that she has. And so if I need help, if I need encouragement, if I need support, if I'm in a discouraged time, if I feel down, if I'm battling in a season of depression, if I'm overwhelmed, mm-hmm. if my body is starting to give in because of the demands, mm-hmm. she makes me a priority. If things aren't falling apart and I just say I really need time with you, mm-hmm. she'll try to respond to that. So it's that sense of availability that really matters a That's lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's probably no other way she could communicate her love and loyalty to me than prioritizing mm-hmm. me. And my friends, they don't always get that from their, their wives, mm-hmm. and nor do their wives get it from their husbands sure. because mm-hmm. the husband is doing whatever he's doing, you know, career, hunting, some hobby, whatever. And the wife more so, sometimes it's career, sometimes it's the hobbies, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's the kids mm-hmm. that become the, um, the priority. And she really does love her kids by prioritizing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. I don't say that selfishly. So I say important. that just meaning it really does make a difference. That's great. Amy, what about you? Well, um, the reverse. 
just say it in another way, not neglecting. We're not neglecting our marriage. You know, when you said that I prioritize you, it's there we go back to Ann Lander's quote of we really fight to put our marriage above everything else because relationships take time. And when you neglect them, just like a garden that gets neglected, it's mm-hmm. going to start showing some signs of that uh, neglect. So I absolutely would say the same thing, that it's the priority that Craig gives to me with all of his demands, which are just so great. And I'm not just trying to give the same answer. It just happens to be (laughs) that, you know, that's definitely just a huge part. Like we put each other first of all human relationships. And I just think that's what makes our relationship work. Doesn't mean that it's always rosy and butterflies and, you know, rainbows because we put it first, but we take the time to prioritize each other. I and, love it. and I've never throughout all of the busy and busier and busiest seasons, I've never felt like second tier ever. He's always kept me priority. And that's just incredible. We're all grateful for that too. Mm. Real quick before we move on, parenting. Looking back now that your kids are getting bigger, as you look back and think, man, if I could do it again, I would <laughs> do more of this. Um it's an emotional question for me because I'm looking back a lot, meaning just right now our fourth of six moved out. And so functionally we're down to two in the home. Mm-hmm. And I mean, last night I was even thinking about the family videos when they were all little, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and in the middle of the night I was thinking about that. So it's Stop. really emotional to me. Oddly enough, because of where they are today, by the grace of God, I don't think I'd do a whole lot differently because they just I'm really thankful for where they are spiritually right now. I think what I would just do is I'd probably be more present emotionally. Mm-hmm. I think Amy would say, as a dad, I did a pretty good job of being present physically because I knew it mattered so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I wasn't all there. Yeah. And I regret those moments like crazy now. Mm-hmm. I want to be all there. Even last night, it was 11 o'clock. We had all three kids in our room and I wanted to sleep because I had a big day coming today. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of wish I'd have gone back and said, let's just stay up till 1130 because mm-hmm. the the three that were home were home, and um, they were in their room at the same time, and I wish I'd have stayed up to 1130. So mm-hmm. I'd have been a little more present mm-hmm. emotionally. I, I just want to say, because it's my opportunity to brag on him publicly, that Craig is just such a great dad. He's always been a great dad. He was a great dad to the littles. No, I would say the baby. Infants, it's like, oh, okay, you know. Yeah, I didn't get interested until the ball rolled back. Yeah, and I roll a ball to him and it comes back. He was helpful. That's pretty common with all dads. Yeah, I wish I loved the babies more. I love them, but they're yeah. like, they don't do much. He's willing yeah. to help yeah. out, loved and cared for them, but he really started to shine. Um, once they're smiling back at you, yeah. yes, I mean, it's more fun for everybody. Yes, he's always been so playful with them. The fun dad, the softy of the two, probably with you know, I'm more hard nosed with them. And so I just want to say, like, we're not perfect parents. He wasn't the perfect dad. It's not about that. But I'm just so thankful for even the dad that he is today, that he is thinking about them and all the areas of growth that they need to launch them into adulthood. He's just real intentional. And um, I'm just thankful that he invests in them the way that he does. Thank you. All right. So we've talked about leading at work, leading at home, but what about leading yourself? You mentioned kind of getting help when you were struggling with Mm -hmm. anxiety. So when you've had a rough day, a rough Mm -hmm. week, a rough month, how do you lead yourself? Do you have any rhythms that help keep you motivated? Yeah. So my life is nothing but a bunch of rhythms right now. (laughs) And I I don't say that to be proud. I say it because I need them so much. So people will say, you're a really disciplined person. 
you know, some people say I'm the most disciplined person they've ever seen. And the reason is because I'm so undisciplined that I need so much help. I mean, it's just really true. No, I hear you. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm scared to death of my life without discipline because I wander. It's the predictability. It's the predictability it's that works for me. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. again, that works with my personality type. I wouldn't try to get others to emulate what I do. But for me, I find real comfort in all the way down to exercising at the same time, eating not just at the same time, but the same food. It's kind of bizarre, but mm -hmm. I, I eat very few things and I eat them consistently. Um, You're simplifying. It's simplifying. Having prayer times, same time of the day, those things just work really, really well for me. I find comfort in it and productivity in it. Someone else who's wired different, they're going to need variety. Mm -hmm. But what you want is you want your variety to be made up of the things that add value to your life. So for me, I've got so many problems, I can't solve them all. So I really intentionally try to solve them one at a time. Mm -hmm. And what I found is years go by faster and faster as you live. If you're solving one a year after 10 years, you've improved in 10 really significant areas of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as we are in a new year, yeah, I want to just tell the listeners, don't try to fix five things because mm -hmm. you'll probably fail at five things. Mm -hmm. But if you try to become more Christ-like or more disciplined or whatever the language is you want to use around it in one area this year and you succeed... That's a really big thing. Mm -hmm. If you do it again next year, that's a really big thing. Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of gotten to where we are one big thing at a time, mm -hmm. physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, leadership wise, one big thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And so whatever, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you just to find that one big thing this year and apply it mm -hmm. and bring your focus to it and conquer it, win at it. That's good. Mm -hmm. One of your recent podcast episodes, uh, simplifying leadership maybe and cutting the slack mm -hmm. was so good, just about eliminating mm -hmm. distractions. And I see that a lot in just your daily routine that you already have set up. Like here's the structure, the framework of what my day looks like. Mm -hmm. And I can relate to that because I like structure and predictability and even a to-do list. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't have it, then I'm kind of everywhere. Whereas if I have it, then I like to make the check marks and yep. I just feel better mm -hmm. about myself. So, <laughs> Well, what would you tell your 25-year-old self? So again, it's a little bit like the parenting answer. I, I wouldn't change much because it was all the mistakes, all the failures, mm -hmm. all the... That, mm -hmm. that got helped, you here. That got us here. And yeah. so if I tried to tell my 25-year-old self what was coming, my 25-year-old <laughs> self would run. Go hide hills. in the corner. Yes. Start rocking. So like, <laughs> and I, I think that's no matter where you end up, and, and I think I'm kind of the master at retelling stories in my mind is I don't want to live with regrets. Yeah. Whatever mm -hmm. could be a regret, I want mm -hmm. to transform that into a lesson that we're different because of it today. So that helps me go on. What I tell my 25-year-old self is just enjoy the ride more. Mm. Yeah. Meaning we worked so hard and made so many sacrifices and shed blood and took ground and all that kind of stuff. And it was just way more fun mm -hmm. than I realized mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we were doing it for a mission. We're doing it to, to spread the gospel. We're, we were doing it with people that we love. And I look back and just think that was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't look around enough to just take it in mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. and, and that's what I'm trying to do at this stage. At 52, the scenery looks a lot different than at 32 because you know the clock is ticking and your days are limited. And life is not perfect. It's hard. We have losses. We've got people that are sick around us. We lose people. Those are all really tragic times. But when you do grieve and you have people around you to grieve with, mm -hmm. that's a pretty special time. And when you do hurt because you're trying to do what's right and people don't understand and you're hurting with other people that are trying to do what's right, mm -hmm. that's a pretty special time. Mm -hmm. So even the hard times when you're doing it around people of God, 
and it's not as hard as you think yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. And so I would have just, I would have smiled a little more, laughed a little more, mm-hmm. hugged a little just longer. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we kind of wrap up, we have some fun questions that we want to dive into a lightning round, if okay. you will. So first, this is kind of serious. What's your favorite chick flick? <laughs> oh gosh! You know, if, if can it, I answer for him? Yes, yeah, please well, do. You answer for no, me. No. I think you're right or not. If it, it's got bad seeds in it, so please forgive me. But if about time is a chick flick, oh yeah, that's a good one. I mm. like that movie. I like yeah. that one too. Fast forward to the bad scenes. I asked Derek what his favorite was, and he said the Notebook. I'm like, look at I you. I actually like the Notebook too. Aww, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. And again, but it's that that sweet. closing scene gets me every time. That's right. Yeah. All right. So you're always so steady. What makes you nervous? There's a lot that makes me nervous. I feel mm-hmm. nervous every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel nervous that I'm not going to get it all done. My next message isn't going to be good. I'm going to fail as a dad. I'm always renewing my mind. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a downside, I live nervous and I'm trying to let... Oh, that's mm-hmm. surprising, but encouraging. No, so. it's very, very, very true. <laughs> if that makes sense. Very true. Yep. Do you have any pet peeves? Anything that just irks you? So there's other than, two, other two than things, driving, okay. Two, two things. The middle finger just should never be used <laughs> as a signal toward anybody, especially me. And I've literally almost could have ended up in jail over middle fingers. And then I just don't like people telling me to chill out. There's something about that, mm-hmm. those words. Oh, you yeah. don't okay. joke with them on yeah, it. It's just not funny. Chill out. <laughs> chill out, Craig. Yeah, like, no, 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 don't even say don't that. Say that awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's one for you. It's kind of been a topic lately. What is your perspective on women in leadership? Well, I feel like God created men and God created women, and we are different. Mm -hmm. Even in a society today that doesn't want to acknowledge that, we are different, and we're all important. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think in society, women and leadership is rightly being celebrated more so in the church world today. Um, I believe women are called by God, and if I'm going to make a mistake on one side or the other, I'm going to make a mistake on empowering Mm -hmm. women rather than limiting them. As a dad with four daughters and a husband to one really gifted wife, I celebrate the ladies in my life using their gifts to make the gospel known. Mm-hmm. And we could talk scripture, but, you know, you just look at the women that Jesus appeared to, empowered, mm-hmm. started churches, ran businesses in scripture. Mm-hmm. I believe in celebrating women in leadership. Awesome. All right. So a lot has happened in 2000 years since Jesus was here on the earth. Just kind of briefly, I know that's kind of hard to do, but where could the church do better? And then where is the church just really getting it right? Well, that's a tricky question because there's so many different types of churches in the world today. And globally, you know, we're talking about churches in the West. That's kind of where we live. And so there's underground churches in China that are doing great and thriving in the midst of persecution. And so it's a tough question Mm -hmm. to answer it in context of like the American churches. Um, I think that in response to kind of churches that were dead and not engaging, we've the pendulum's kind of swung to being more intentionally engaging. I would say if there was any correction, let's not try to think entertain or attract first. Let's try to think letting truth do what truth does. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe starting with that filter might be a change for some churches. I think where we're getting it right, again, it's contextual. I think there's a real... If, at least in my peers, a love for reaching the lost, which mm-hmm. I think is mm-hmm. is exciting to me. Yeah. You know, we always say we'll do anything short of sin to reach people that don't know Christ. And you really see that around mm-hmm. here. Cause when I was a kid, the churches were not as evangelistic mm-hmm. by nature. Mm-hmm. We thought church people, churches were for mm-hmm. church people. Mm-hmm. And now I think we recognize is that the gospel is for all hurting and broken people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited when churches have more of an evangelistic heart. That's good. Mm-hmm. 
Babe, I'm super excited. You have a book that's about to come out, be released. Tell us all about it. Well, I'm really excited about this book, too. It's called Dangerous Prayers, and the subtitle is Because Following Jesus Was Never Meant to Be Safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, you could have asked us about our prayer journey in our marriage, and we could have given you a really honest answer to say it's been incredibly inconsistent. (laughs) And so that's kind of the story of my prayer life. In the early years, I always felt like uh, praying failure, especially as a pastor. Like in our prayer life, we didn't pray together much at all for years because Amy would pray longer than my taste would be or take longer to get started. And I just am not a good long prayer. I can uh, just imagine this. <laughs> I'm picturing it. Yeah. And so we've, we've learned rhythms now that are much more helpful to us. But my prayer life, I always felt like, like an ADD prayer and always guilty. So one of the things I realized is my prayers were just way too safe. God bless us, help us, protect us, keep us safe. And when I look mm-hmm. at some of the prayers in Scripture, they're just really, really dangerous. And so in the book, my secret mission is to help people learn to pray by using three really dangerous prayers mm-hmm. to help them create intimacy and build their faith. Mm-hmm. That we are talking to an all-powerful God mm-hmm. who is worthy of our praise and has the ability to do way more than we ever imagined. Let's not pray safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll link up all the pre-order information in the conversation notes, and we're so excited. Thank you. Craig, Amy, Derek, and I are just so grateful for you guys. Will you leave us with one final word for whoever's listening, just something that you want them to take with them as they go about their week? So I'll highlight you and your husband to know that you guys were um, both incredibly sharp living in your business lives. And not only did you honor God in what you're doing in business, you were evangelists and you were living purely. And then your husband took what would be considered like a massive pay cut and in the world's eyes, a big step backwards and became a pastor. I applaud you for that. You would have been viewed as a very talented, highly capable person I've often wanted to hire if you were available full time. And yet you were very satisfied with your calling to be a mom, to be a support to your husband. And then you said yes and started a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to talk to whoever's listening out there and highlight Jen's obedience is that there might be a next yes for you somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's something you might not feel quite prepared to do. It might feel like a big venture. It might be a step of faith. And you started a podcast that's now impacting thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. And you did mm-hmm. it just in a step of obedience. So mm-hmm. it's a new year. There might be a new assignment for you. Jen, you're a great example of saying yes at the right time. And God's using you in a big way. And so... Whoever you are, whatever it is, if it's still on your heart, there's probably a reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time for another yes. That is so great. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Craig. All right, guys. Craig's book, Dangerous Prayers, is now available for pre-order and officially releases into the world in just a few weeks on February 4th. We'll have all that linked up in the conversation notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Messy Table and to Craig's Leadership Podcast. Plus, you can join the conversation on good old Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. And hey, if this podcast has been encouraging to you in any way, we would love it if you'd help us spread the word. It's really pretty simple. You can do that by texting this episode to a friend, sharing it on social media, or even leaving a rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts, which might sound random, but it actually helps increase the visibility so that others can find this life-giving content. And if you don't already know, we are huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app here at The Messy Table. And honestly, it's hard to imagine that for thousands of years, only the elite priests and scribes had access to the Word of God. 
but now we can carry it around in our pockets for free, no matter where we go. Guys, it's a privilege we cannot afford to take for granted. So it's always a good time to start a Bible plan, but January is an especially perfect time to begin. This year, my husband and I are doing the Bible Recap Bible Plan together, which is a chronological study of the Bible, plus a coordinating five to eight minute podcast episode every day by Terry Lee Cobble on the Bible Recap Podcast. It highlights overarching themes from the reading, helps bring clarity to some of those confusing pieces, and offers perspective from the greater meta-narrative of Scripture. Whether you choose a longer or shorter plan or something totally different, let's be a generation that refuses to sit on the sidelines, but gets in the game and seeks God's face. And I think that's it, friends. As we head into this week, as well as a new decade, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.